0: podcasting, The Final Frontier. This is the Hammer Podcast. It's 30-minute mission, to rehash geeky topics, to seek out new bastions of nerdiness, to timidly go where the more talented have gone before. Greetings and welcome to the Hammer Podcast, the official podcast of thehammerstrikes.com. I'm your host, Gene Hendricks, and before we get into today's topic, I want to go over some listener feedback. Well, actually one listener feedback cuz that's all I have right now. Well, this one comes in from Chris Franklin of the Supermates Podcast and the Power Records Podcast. You will know him from being on the Red Brown Legends of the Superheroes. Well, Chris is writing in about another Legends show, and that would be the one about the Crow that I did with Aaron Moss. And he writes, Hey Gene, thanks for reminding me how much I liked the first Crow movie. I haven't seen it in years, but you and Aaron brought back a lot of fond memories. I remember Cindy and I seeing this in the theater of our college town. We were already fans of Brandon Lee from the very fun action flick he did prior to this, Rapid Fire. That movie showed he had the chops to be an action star, and two things a lot of those types lack. Charisma, and actual acting talent. I agree, he would have been a big box office draw had he not met such a tragic end. I saw the second Crow film, and I recall it being just nasty, dark, and violent for violence's sake. It had no heart like this one, just overwrought goth stylings. Yuck. I only caught a bit of the TV series, but I know the guy who played the Crow is now the Kung Fu Flipping Chairman on Iron Chef America. No full one. Great episode, Chris. Well, thank you very much, Chris. I appreciate the feedback, and I'm not really in a hurry to seek out the second Crow movie or the TV series. Uh, It's a little beyond my normal range of uh, viewing, and honestly, I still have nine episodes of Daredevil to watch, so... That has a little bit of a higher priority right now. Uh, Thank you again for the feedback, and if you would like to send in feedback, please email me at gene at hammerstrikes.com. Now we'll take a quick break, and then we'll get into this week's topic. Are you a geek looking for love? Do you long to find discussion on that special comic, TV, episode, movie, or toy that's just right for you? Then why not try Supermates, the husband and wife geek cast? Chris and Cindy Franklin can match you with that certain something to satisfy your genre-related longings, no matter the subject. Superheroes. But Robin's like, that was really nice of you, Batman. He's like, I had the room loaded with kryptonite. I can turn it on at any moment. (laughs) (laughs) And here's the thing. You're talking about, now think about this. It's an apartment building owned by Batman. Do you not think that Batman doesn't have their place, bud? Sci-fi. I don't know. You talk about being a sex symbol and stuff like that. I mean, I know a lot of girls thought, you know, William Shatner was it, but I had the biggest crush on George Takai. I I, I, I did. I thought, you know. Sorry about that. (laughs) Horror. And then when we see the wolfman for the first time, he's in... I don't know, we don't a know. A long sleeve shirt, shirt and a dark pair of pants. pants with a belt. With a with belt. belt, that's what <laughs> And his shirt's buttoned up all the way, too. Yeah, yeah. And his so, arms. So after he changes into this ferocious beast who can't talk and doesn't seem to be able to think beyond just attacking things, he, he has lots of dexterity. He went through his closet and. <laughs> action figures. I actually had all the figures and all the accessories up to a certain point. I really, literally did collect them all, you know. Including Shira. I was going to get to that, but... Chris and Cindy have found their own happiness through discussions like this. I could be friends with him. I could be down with this version of the ultra humanoid. You can be friends with a dude who put his brain inside a mutated albino ape. I married you! <laughs> if you're tired of searching for geek love, then sign up with Supermates for free at supermatescomic.blogspot.com or on iTunes. Welcome back. This time I'm going to talk about a topic that has been put off for far too long that of Norse mythology. Those who have listened to this show before know that I'm a heathen, also known as a Germanic pagan, which means that I worship the Norse gods, so I think I know a thing or two about this subject. As with most things, it's best to start at the beginning, and for the Norse, that would be at Ganungagap, which is the void between Muspelheim, the Realm of Fire, and Niflheim, the Realm of Ice. These two realms predate the universe, and their interaction with the heat melting the ice causes the birth of Ymir, first of the ice giants, and the cow, Odhumla. Ymir fed on the milk from the cow, while she fed by licking the blocks of ice that were all around. Now, as she licked a particular block of ice, Odhumla began to uncover something. At first it was hair, then it was a head, and finally a whole person. This was Buri, the first of the gods. While all of this was going on, Emir's body was busy with a little asexual reproduction. While Emir slept, the sweat under his arms grew to more giants, one male and one female, and one of his legs paired with the other to create a third, the son Thrujelmir, Strength Yeller. These were the first of the family of frost giants, also known as Jotuns. Buri had a son, presumably with one of the female giants that came about from the children of Ymir. This son was named Bor, and he married the giant Bestla. They had three sons, Odin, Vili, and Vey. These three brothers were bothered by the fact that the Jotuns outnumbered the gods, so they decided to kill Ymir. The brothers attacked him in his sleep and, after a terrific battle, managed to kill him. Ymir was so large, and his wounds so grievous, that his blood flooded Ganungagap, drowning all the giants except for Bergelmir, son of Thrujelmir, and his wife. They escaped to Jotunheim, and begat the race of frost giants. Not wanting to waste anything, Odin and his brothers made Asgard and Midgard out of Ymir's body. They also created the race of dwarves from the maggots, in his corpse. Now this is a very simplified version of the story, but you get the point. I guess you're probably asking yourself whether or not I believe this. Well, yes and no. Yes, it's part of my religion I believe that, as any Christian believes in Genesis. However, I don't believe that it is to be taken literally. In fact, I think it works as a great allegory for M-theory which is a unification of the various versions of string theory. In simple terms, and I'm probably simplifying too much, M-theory states that the Big Bang was caused by two-dimensional membranes touching and creating our universe. Just like the interaction between Niflheim and Muspelheim created the universe in Ganungagap. Taking this further, Emir was created out of the interaction. And then, everything in our universe was created out of him. Meaning that Ymir is the stand-in for the Big Bang itself, where all matter and energy in our universe came from. What this means to us, heathens, Norse scholars, etc., is that Asgard and Midgard, or the Upper and Middle Realms, are to be considered part of this universe. While the remainder of the Nine Worlds including Jotunheim, Muspelheim, Niflheim, Alfheim, and Svartalfheim, no, that is not a complete list, are all part of other universes. That would explain why Asgard and Midgard are so often connected in the lore, and why they are the only realms affected by Ragnarok. It also helps to explain the gods' fascination with humans. Oh, they battle, and in some cases marry, the Jotuns so there's a connection between those two worlds. But that takes a bit of travel, while the gods can make it to Midgard pretty easily. Rather than the simplistic view seen in the comics or the Marvel movies, this really expands your view of what's going on. You see, the Norse worldview splits everything into inningarthr and Utgarther, or in-yard or out-yard. Basically, things that are part of your world are to be trusted or those outside your world are not to be trusted. In the old days, this was people from your community and everybody else. Looking at this example though, we see that the gods are tied to our universe and the Giants are outside that universe. Hence, we can rely on the gods to come to our aid against the Giants. Alright, so we've got the big cosmic stuff out of the way. What else can we learn from this tale? Mainly, that Odin is not someone to emulate. He and his brothers, who, like Burdi and Bor, disappear pretty quickly after this, decide that there are more of them than us, so let's kill them first. Yes, a preemptive strike is a good thing in some cases, but here we don't have any reason for it, and end ended up starting the constant warring between Asgard and Jotunheim, with Midgard sometimes caught in the middle. Now, while Christians, at least the good ones, Try and emulate Christ in their behavior. Heathens should not try and emulate Odin. Odin, beyond being not a very nice person, is driven by one overriding goal. Stave off Ragnarok as long as possible through any means necessary. See episode 3 of this program where I related the Rape of Rindir to see just what lengths he will go to. This is great if Odin happens to be on your side. But if you turn out to be against his plan, look out. So, if we're not supposed to act like the chief of the gods, what are we supposed to do? Well, there's this little thing called the Havamal, which translates to the words of the High One. It is 164 verses that tell you how to behave in various situations, what to be worried about, and some tales of runes and spells. Here are a few examples. Verse 8, Happy is he who wins for himself, fair fame and kindly words, but uneasy is that which a man doth own, while it lies in another's breast. In other words, you're happiest with what you earn for yourself. Verse 12, Less good than they say for the sons of men is the drinking oft of ale, for the more they drink, the less they can think and keep watch o'er their wits. Or, don't drink so much that you become an idiot. Verse 16. A coward believes he will ever live if he keep him safe from strife. But old age leaves him not long in peace, though spears may spare his life. It's better to risk, and possibly lose, than try and avoid risk and die unsatisfied. And probably my favorite. Verse 75. Cattle die, and kinsmen die. Thyself too soon must die, but one thing never I ween will die, fair fame of one who has earned, or your reputation is all that will survive you. There are some repeats in the verses, but you get the idea. This is like the heathen Ten Commandments, but a little more helpful in my opinion. Okay, let's take another quick break and then we'll talk about the Azir hiring a contractor. Aquaman and Firestorm, fighting crime together, soak them down or burn them up, no one does it better, whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there, to catch them in a bubble, or even torch their hair, we stand for truth and justice, and see on land, if there, Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super fair. The Fire and Water Podcast. Celebrating Aquaman, King of the Seven Seas, and Firestorm, the Nuclear Man. Available weekly on Aquaman Shrine, Firestorm Fan, and on iTunes and Stitcher. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag, here to talk about Firestorm. Along with me is my co-host Rob Kelly, here to talk about some guy that talks to fish. Really? You're going to pull this crap during the promo? Bad enough, I have to put up with your shenanigans every week, but... Welcome back. Now I'd like to tell you the tale of how the wall around the city of Asgard was built. The gods were concerned with the Jotuns coming to attack, so they wanted to make the city of Asgard defensible. A master builder approached them and said that he could build a wall that would keep every giant out, and would only take him nine months. As payment, however, he wanted Freya as his wife, and the Sun and Moon as her dowry. The gods talked it over and decided that they needed the wall but they wanted to get it without payment. They proposed that he could have his price, but only if he completed the wall in three months and had the help of no man. He agreed with the caveat that he be allowed to use his stallion, Swathilfari. Loki persuaded the gods that this was fine, as one horse couldn't make much of a difference. On the first day of winter, construction started. Already, though, the gods began to get worried. It turns out that the Builder was able to quarry stone all night and then build the wall during the day with no rest. Swathofari was so fast and strong that he could haul a load of blocks from the quarry site to the wall in a blink of an eye, then turn around and get more. As you can imagine, the wall began to take shape rather quickly. As the deadline approached, it became very obvious that the wall would be completed on time and that the gods would lose not only some valuable treasures, ...but also one of their chief goddesses. For some reason, they blamed Loki for getting them into this predicament... ...even though they had all agreed to the impossible conditions beforehand. And Odin demanded that Loki get them out of the deal. Loki agreed, and on the night before the deadline... ...changed himself into a mare and coaxed Swathofari away. Without his horse, the Builder was unable to finish the wall... ...but suspecting some trickery, he argued that he was still entitled to his price. The gods argued with him long enough that Thor, who had been away in Jotunheim, returned. Seeing a threat in the Builder, he killed him with his hammer. Later that year, Loki, still in Mare form, gave birth to an eight-legged colt, who was named Sleipnir and given to Odin as a gift. There are several things that we can learn from this tale. The first of which is that Thor is a throw-hammer-first, ask-questions-later kind of god. He doesn't even wait for an explanation. He just comes in and kills the Builder. Now, there are some versions of this tale that have the Builder as a giant, which would make Thor's actions a little more understandable, but not by much. Thor is famous for going in hot before knowing all the particulars, so his actions here really aren't that surprising. What it tells us about the Norse worldview, though, is pretty interesting. You see, when you're a heathen, the smallest, indivisible unit is the family not the individual. So you need to be at your family's side in everything, whether you necessarily agree with them or not. With that in mind, you have Thor coming up on an argument which could turn violent at any moment and simply killing the one that is against his family. I should point out that this is not murder. Way back when, a killing was only considered murder if no one knew who committed it. If you killed someone in front of witnesses, or told any of the first three people you met after killing someone, then it wasn't murder. This is because of the concept of wereguilt, which is a form of payment in lieu of retribution. If the family of the killer pays the family of the victim, an agreed-upon price, all is right with the world. Now, this price was usually set by the community, so there was, like, okay, you chop my cousin's hand off, you owe me five gold pieces, or some such. So, if the Builders family came calling, the gods would pay a sum, and that's that. No jail time, public floggings, or anything. What is more interesting, to me at least, is the treatment of Loki in this tale. He is involved in the original agreement, but he also makes the comment that the use of the horse shouldn't make any difference. It's for this one statement that Odin demands that Loki solve the problem that they've all gotten themselves into. Please keep in mind that, to me, Loki is the god of evil, and should not be worshipped at all. But it's tales like this where you can see kinda what drove him down that road. At this point, Loki was still the god of mischief, and really only played pranks on the other gods. But they constantly mistreated him like this, and so his resentment grew. There was also the fact that he wasn't a god himself, but the son of giants. His only tie to the gods was the blood brotherhood he had with Odin. No, he was not the adopted son of the Allfather. But then again, Thor isn't blonde, so there you go. It does show that your family isn't just who you're born related to. Not only does marriage add to the family, where the wife was actually considered to be part of her husband's family and no longer part of her birth family, but oaths also added to it. The blood oath between Odin and Loki is a vague thing, with no actual evidence of what it involved. But we know that it was there and that makes Loki, son of giants, one of the Aesir, right up to the point where he insults the gods. No, he was not kicked out for the killing of Baldr, but for coming to the wake afterwards and insulting every one of the gods in his year's home. This was an unforgivable breach of hospitality, which is very important to heathens, and he was kicked out. Once Loki was gone from the ranks of the Aesir, he immediately became an enemy and was hunted down. More on that another time, though. For now, let's take one last break, and when we come back, we'll talk about an often overlooked god. Tyr, the bravest of the Aesir. This is the Allfather Odin, and you should be listening to Radio Free Asgard. No, no, that's just not going to work. Let's try this again. This is the evil Loki, and if you hate Thor as much as I do, you should be... All right, let's just try one more thing. Jane Foster here, and you should be... All right, let's just keep this simple. Hello, everybody. My name is Tom Harris, and I do a podcast called Radio Free Asgard, which airs every Thursday over at RadioFreeAsgard.com. We cover the adventures of Thor, Hercules, and more from ancient times all the way up into the present day. We read old comics and make fun of them. I do ridiculous voices and generally make an ass of myself. So if that sounds fun to you, you should come join us, the Only Thor podcast hosted by a true descendant of Odin, over at RadioFreeAsgard.com, and we'll see you there. And we're back. Now I'd like to tell you about the Binding of Fenrir. Fenrir is one of the children of Loki and the giantess, Angerboda, the others being Hel, the gods of Death, and the Midgard Serpent. Fenrir took the form of a wolf of a gigantic size, and for a while he lived in Asgard, where the gods could keep an eye on him. He was so ferocious, though, that only Tyr was brave enough to go near him and feed him. As time went on, though, Fenrir continued to grow, and at an alarming rate. Soon it was obvious that he couldn't stay in Asgard any longer, but because they feared the destruction that he'd cause if he were to roam around the worlds, they knew that Fenrir couldn't be released either. So, they decided to bind him. The gods tried to trick the wolf into allowing them to put chains on him by telling them that it was a test of strength. The first two chains were big and heavy, but broken quite easily. The third chain was a slender thing though, being made of the sound of a cat's footsteps, the beard of a woman, the roots of stones, the breath of a fish, and the spittle of a bird. It was named Gleipnir. Being the child of the cunning Loki, Fenrir suspected that this was a trick. He agreed that they could chain him with Gleipnir, but only if one of them put his hand in Fenrir's mouth as insurance. None of the gods were willing to lose a hand or, possibly worse, break an oath by removing their hand should the wolf find that he could not break free. Tyr, however, decided to agree to the wolf's terms in order to save many lives down the road. He placed his right hand in Fenrir's mouth, and when the wolf found that he was well and truly chained, had it bitten off at the wrist. Fenrir was finally bound and was transported to a desolate place where he could not hurt anyone, and there he will remain until Ragnarok, when all shackles will be broken. Tyr, as we can see here, is willing to sacrifice for his family and the greater good of all life. For a warrior culture, as the Norse people were, having a god that was one-handed shows just how important honor is. More important than fighting, more important than your physical self, is the protection of your family and the keeping of your word. Tyr could have easily kept his hand by pulling it out of Fenrir's mouth, but he gave his word that he wouldn't. It is also very interesting that Tyr was the only one willing to sacrifice himself. As I said before, Odin is not a god to emulate, and as we can see here, the others weren't that brave in this case. In fact, there are few gods that are really good examples of how to behave. Thor is hot-tempered and headstrong. Azir, the god of the sea, lusts after gold. Baldr was a coward until his mother got him invulnerability, etc., etc. There really are only two Azir, in my mind, that are worthy of trying to emulate. Tyr is one, in that his sense of honor and justice is second to none. The other would be Heimdall, Guardian Bifrost, the Rainbow Bridge. Heimdall is, according to one story, the progenitor of the castes of humans, so whenever I do a ceremony, I call for silence among the sons of Heimdall. Beyond that, though, is the fact that Heimdall is ever faithful. He is the one responsible for sounding the alarm when enemies of Asgard appear, so he is constantly on watch and will forgo pleasure in the name of duty. He has also prophesied to be the one responsible for killing Loki at Ragnarok, so he is to be applauded for that alone. Okay, I think I've rambled on long enough for this episode. I will be doing more of these episodes coming up, but we'll get back to more geeky topics before then. Before I go, though, I should point you in the direction of further reading material if you want a more detailed and less snarky version of these and other Norse tales. I would highly recommend The Norse Myths by Kevin Crossley Holland. It's available on Amazon for pretty cheap, and if you're going to buy it through Amazon, please head over to that's twotruefreaks.com, that's t-w-o t-r-u-e f-r-e-a-k-s.com, and click on the Amazon link there. It won't cost you any more money, and it will help us keep the lights on at the network. Also, if you want to listen to these stories, check out Radio Free Asgard, where Tom Harris devotes every ninth episode to retelling these tales. He does a better job than I ever could, which is why I paraphrase them here. That's it for me this time. Remember to check out TheHammerStrikes.com for more thought-provoking topics, or mind-numbing ones, depending on your attitude. And I'll see you next time. The Hammer Podcast is a production of TheHammerStrikes.com. Questions and comments can be emailed to Gene at TheHammerStrikes.com. Look for The Hammer Strikes on Facebook and Google+. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.